All right, we got a lot of work to do. Get out your Bible and get into Luke chapter 6 this morning. If you have the Pew Bible, it's found on page 1024. Back in the Gospel of Luke, uh, and the only reason why we just had Easter last week, we're going to jump back in. Folks, there is light at the end of the tunnel on the Gospel of Luke. I counted them up this week. We only have, if things go well, we only have 84 more sermons in the Gospel of Luke to get through. So we're getting close. We're getting close, Luke. So, which also means we need to keep moving. So we'll take breaks. But we're back into Luke chapter 6 this morning. Luke chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out from him. He healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you. When all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Grass withers, the flower fades, word of our God stands forever. So this morning we're getting into what is the Sermon on the Plain uh, from Luke chapter 6. And Jesus brings up, there's this phrase we have called the Beatitudes. You'll also find the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, a little different arrangement and a few more of them. But this is the section typically known as the Beatitudes, which just means bless, basically. Blessed, uh, the, the Beatitudes comes from the Latin term meaning to be happy. Is the, so we've taken this literation from the Latin word of Beatitude and turned them into Beatitudes, which means to be happy or to be blessed. And what does it mean, if we are just to set our minds thinking a little bit, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be blessed? If you're to think about what it means to be blessed, the term is thrown around all the time. And if you're on social media, which many of you maybe not aren't on social media, but we have a thing called a hashtag, um, and we have hashtag blessed. Some of my generation might get the hashtag blessed thing that you have. Uh, they'll say whatever, um, uh, Dairy Sweet has maple ice cream on Tuesdays, hashtag blessed. Is, is that what the term Blessed mean, and you don't need to look up, don't, I, I don't advise uh, searching for Twitter very often, but there's all kinds of things on there. One I saw was, I'm so glad I don't have allergies, hashtag blessed. Well, that's, I suppose, my wife is struggling with allergies right now. She would appreciate not having the allergies. But 
What does it really mean? That's kind of all light, temporal, fluffy things. What does it really mean to be blessed? Do you consider yourself blessed? And how and, how and why do you consider yourself blessed? What are the parameters for considering yourself blessed? Or, or what are the things, maybe, that are ruining you from feeling blessed? Like, if only I had this, then I'd be blessed. Like, I've got, I've got my Facebook post ready to go. Once this happens, I'm posting it. Hashtag blessed. Now I'm blessed. What are the things and that are preventing your feeling of being blessed. What does it mean to be blessed? We pray at night. Um, actually, when we only started this different way of doing it a couple of months ago, where we're after reading our books, Joel and Darla and I, Jana's in bed. She can't pray. She doesn't speak. So just the three of us are on the bed, and we'll say it's you know, it's real simple. We say something we're thankful for, and then we make a request. So and the thanks they are very light. So I might. Uh, I might thank God that that mom made a great meatloaf tonight or something along those lines. We thank God for the nice day we got to play outside. Or Joel might say, thank, we, I'm thankful dad got the swing up today. You know, we, we just kind of say these, these very simple things that we are thankful for. And listen, it is good to thank God for the simple things, is it not? James 1.17 tells us clearly, every good gift comes from the Father above. So everything good that you enjoy in your life is reason to thank God. So don't hear me through the rest of this sermon saying you shouldn't thank God when the sun's out. Because you should. Or shouldn't thank God whenever someone brings you or cooks you a nice meatloaf. You should thank God for, especially with the sweet car, the ketchup sauce on top. Anybody else? You should thank God for those things. I mean, and so don't hear me say that we should not thank God for, for all the blessings that come our way. But the reality is, days will come, and days do come, when those blessings, the blessings of that caliber, the blessings of that lightness, are, are just blown out of the water. Are they not? Days come, because we live in a fallen and a broken world, there are days coming when, when the tragedies that fly into our day, the worries and the cares that go into our day, they just throw all of these kind of light blessings just out of our view. Have you ever experienced that? It isn't that necessarily the blessings aren't there. Maybe you're still in your house. You still have shelter. You still ate a meal if you felt like it. You know, you still got to take a shower. You had many blessings, but the, the weight of what's going on in your life is so heavy, you can't see any of those blessings. And so what we're shooting for when we talk about blessings, I, I don't want us just to be well-equipped, though... I do, but not just well-equipped at noticing the blessings of our lives, but are there foundational bedrock blessings that we as Christians ground ourselves on so that when the storms come and all of these light blessings get flown around and we can't find them, we still can say and see that we are blessed because there is something larger underneath us this is the kind of blessing that jesus is going for in these beatitudes this blessed that he's talking about these beatitudes this blessed this happiness that he's communicating to his disciples and i would say to us is not the light fluffy hashtag blessed things of life but bedrock foundational blessings 
to ground your life on. My big idea for this morning is that faith in the promised future flowing to us through the gospel is joy-filled fuel for the family of God. Faith in the promised future flowing to us through the gospel is the joy-filled fuel of the family of God. Jesus begins his sermon, and you know you should have been in the boomers class because they figured out that there is a, such a thing as a sermon on the plain and a sermon on the mount. And the two might be interconnected. They don't have to be. It could have been, Kathy brought the great point, that sometimes mountains, we draw them this way in pictures as just peaks like this. But sometimes a mountain, you come down and it might level off a ways and then go down more. And it's possible these are the same sermon as what you find in the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus, as an itinerant minister, is going around preaching a lot. He's saying a lot of things. He's speaking lots of sermons. And so the content from Matthew 5 through 7 and Luke 6 don't necessarily match up. But we don't need to get caught up in that. Luke and Matthew are maybe recording different ways of Jesus saying the same thing. And so here we have these eight pronouncements to the start of this sermon on the mount. We have these eight sayings, the blessings, these four blessings, and then these four woes against them. And and what you get from these beatitudes and these woes is a clear dividing line. Jesus says, there are those who are blessed, there are those who have woe. There are those who are blessed, there are those who have woe. There are, we we say this nowadays, we say there are the haves, the blessed, And the have-nots, those who have the woes. There are those who are blessed. There are those who are woeful. And the categories that he brings into this dividing line, he says on one side, there are those who are poor. There are those who are hungry. There are those who are weeping. There are those who are hated. And then on this side are those who are rich, those who are full now, those who laugh now, and those who have popularity, have everyone on their side. These two lines, two categories, poor over here, rich over here, hungry over here, well-fed over here, sorrowful over here, uh, and and laughing over here, hated over here, well-liked over here. This is the dividing line. And if you were to give your own declaration, which side, this is the side of the the poor, the sorrowful, the the, the, um, hungry, and the hated, and this is the side of the rich, the well-fed, the laughing, and the liked, if you were to say which side is blessed, which side do you say is blessed? Which side do you say is blessed? Over here, now you've read the text, so you're cheating, but if you hadn't read the text, which side is the blessed side? Well, don't we all say the rich are the blessed side? Those who are satisfied, they're the blessed those who are laughing, have you seen? What's a, is it better to go to a party or to go to a dirge, to go to a funeral? It's a party. These are the blessed ones. Everyone likes these people over here and these people are hated. It's, is it not common sense to our worldly way of thinking? This is the group that's blessed. Can you agree with that that much? I mean, that's pretty. that's what we would say. Here's the blessed group. But Jesus takes this and he turns this upside down, doesn't he? He says... Here's the blessed group. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the hungry. Blessed are those who are weeping. Blessed are those who are hated. This is the blessed group according to Jesus. How in the world can Jesus do this? 
it defies all of our worldly logic. No way, Jesus. This is not the blessed side. I don't want to be over here. I want to be on this side. This is the blessed side. Jesus says this because why would Jesus? Let me just. Why would Jesus say that? And how can he say that? Why would? And let me tell you, since you asked, why Jesus says this is because Jesus knows. Okay, Jesus knows. Colossians 1.15 says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, that is Jesus, and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Jesus says this is the blessed group. You know why? Because Jesus knows. Jesus knows something. He's God. He made it all. He was there when it all began. And he says, this is the blessed side. Realities that shout at us from Christ's declaration of blessing to this side, to this group. There's many ways to be poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. This is something Jenny was picking up on the, uh, in the boomers class. They cheat me. Every morning, this past few weeks, they're in there talking about my sermon <laughs> before I get to come out here and say it. So they, they preempt all of my thoughts. So they have brought up the idea, there's many different ways to be poor. There's many different ways to be hungry. Many different ways to be sorrowful. Being poor is not about just not having money, though it certainly would include that. It would also include being poor in spirit. And realizing that when it comes to good works and self-justification, you are broke. When it comes to your state before a holy and righteous God, guess who's poor? Everybody. When it comes to your state before a holy and righteous God, us as we all as sinful creatures, we are the poor. A.W. Pink says that to be poor in spirit is to realize that I have nothing, I am nothing, and can do nothing, and have need of all things. We have nothing if God does not give it to us. The poor, in reality, is all of us. Being rich is not about just having money, but it really it's a spirit of self-sufficiency. I got this, God. I don't need any help. I can do all that I need to do. I am the rich. The rich believe they can take care of it all. The rich believe they've got bootstraps they can pull up and get it done. That's, that's the rich. Being hungry is not just being physically hungry, hungry, though it could include that. It also includes a spiritual hungering. I mean, we don't want to throw out that it could be those who just literally are hungry. But it also includes the spiritually hungry. Those who are longing for something far more than what you have and what you're able to produce in this life. Working and working and working for some sense of satisfaction. That is a lot of our culture. The hungry. Working and working and working. Looking for partners. Looking for friends. Looking for marriages. Looking for children. Looking for all of these things to bring me satisfaction. Hungering, hungering and hungering for more. Those who are for what they cannot produce. And those who are full now do not realize that what they have glutted themselves on, what they have satisfied themselves on in this life will not last. And weeping is not just for those who cry real tears. We talked about those who are poor, those who are hungry. But those who are weeping, it isn't like that's just the people who cry literal tears. It's those who are filled with sorrow over the realities of this life. 
those who are grieved over the witnessing of pain and sorrow of others. And certainly the weeping includes those who feel the sorrow of their own sinfulness and their own shortcomings. Those who laugh now do not realize that how quickly their laughter can fade away. So when we talk about these categories and the blessing of these two different categories, we have to realize these things, the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the hated, the rich, the well-fed, the laughing, the liked, means a lot more than just those surface-level comments. But secondly, these Beatitudes are not just something you make yourself. So sometimes when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we say, this, this is, we we're laying out, Jesus is saying, become this to get this. And do this to receive whatever, to receive your blessing. This is not just some sort of list of making yourself something, but it's a list to try to help you to realize what you really already are. It's to help you see something and see yourself as you truly are. This isn't about making yourself poor as though we all are supposed to take a vow of poverty, which you know is what monks and nuns do. They put themselves in a vow of poverty. They, they physically, in reality, make themselves financially poor. But it's not about making yourself poor, but seeing that you are already poor. It's not about making yourself hungry, but seeing that deep down you truly are already hungry. One way of reading the woes is not by seeing that those who are rich now are truly poor and have been all along, that they're just fools. So one way to read the woes is to see that those who laugh, who are rich, who are full, really have been poor and empty and, mar- and sorrowful all the way along. They just were fooled all the way getting through it. Thomas Watson says on this beatitude of the rich, he says, or on this, on the beatitude section, he says, alas, the tree of blessedness does not grow in an earthly paradise. Has God not cursed the ground because of sin? Yet many are digging for happiness here as if they could fetch a blessing out of a curse. A man may as well think to extract oil out of a flint or fire out of water as blessedness out of earthly things. To think that we can mine for blessedness in this life, Thomas Watson is saying, is like trying to get oil from flint or to try to pull fire out of water, which is to say you're not going to succeed. What right do we have to these blessings? When we come to these Beatitudes, we go, oh, I want this kingdom of God. I want this satisfied. I want to laugh. I want to, I want to have this joy of heaven to rejoice and leap for joy because I have a great reward in heaven. What right do we have to these blessings? None. We have no right to these blessings. That's part of what it means to be poor. But this is where the gospel comes in for us. So we're talking about the Beatitudes. This is where the gospel comes in for us. This is where the gospel comes in. We're poor and we deserve to be. We're hungry and we should have to stay that way. We're the weeping ones and we should weep forever for our sinfulness. What happens? Christ steps in. He who is rich eternally, he who is rich becomes poor so that through him we could become rich. 
He who is eternally satisfied becomes hungry, so that through him we could be satisfied. He who dwelled in eternal gladness becomes a man familiar with sorrows and acquainted with grief, so that we, the truly sorrowful, could know his eternal joy. The third thing is that these Beatitudes all get their power from an eschatological framework. Eschatological thinking of the end. The end of it all. If you notice, all of these blessings are focused on the future promise. Christians live, we all as Christians live, in the condition of the already and the not yet. In a very real way, those who are poor, the kingdom of God is theirs now, but it is not yet fully realized. The kingdom of God, where God's rule is and God's reign is, is theirs already, but at the same time, it is not yet fully realized. Those who are hungry, they will be satisfied. Those who are weeping now, they will laugh. These Beatitudes are all thrusting the the Christian's view into the promised future. The big idea is that the the faith in the promised future flowing to us through the gospel of who Jesus is, taking our sin upon himself. The faith in the promised future flowing to us through the gospel is the joy-filled fuel of the family of God. We have to see how eschatologically, how the end times focused this is. The Christian life is one of a pilgrim. We are ones on the way. We're, We're on the way. We're on a march to somewhere. The Christian walk is a pilgrim walk. We are aliens traveling in a foreign land. We, we, are, we are wanderers, pilgrims in a foreign land. But simultaneously with that wandering, there is a joy in this journey. And it is the joy of the final destination bleeding over into the journey unto. It is the joy of the final destination bleeding over into the journey unto that final destination. Does that make sense what I'm saying there? That the, the Beatitudes are focused on this end result. Those who are poor, theirs is the kingdom of God. Those who are hungry, they shall be, will be satisfied. Those who weep now, they will laugh. And the, the Christian lives in this already not yet environment where the promised future bleeds into the journey unto. The joy of that final uh, end bleeds into this journey unto. Anybody ever go on a long road trip somewhere? Like, I mean, of course you have. It was a dumb question. Of course you've driven somewhere. I mean, we, we go to Disney World quite a bit, and we used to drive about all the time. Thankfully, we now fly. But it's like a 22-hour drive down to Orlando. It's awful. But, you know, as a teenager, you get in the car, you, and like, even if you're flying now, does anyone fly out of Kansas City, and you have to get up like 4 in the morning or something like that? It's awful. But there's something about this journey unto where you're going that that the joy of where you're headed to bleeds into the journey unto where you're going, right? So you get into this. I remember one time I drove down with with Darla and some friends and we we got in the car and we we had road, we had a, Back in the day when you burned CDs the way you wanted to, we had a, a mixtape all set up. We had our snacks. We had our drinks. We had our seating arrangements. And it was just, we, we were going somewhere great. We're going to go have a good time. And there's this sense in which the joy of where you're going is so great that it bleeds into the journey unto where you're going. And this is how the Christian 
lives. The power of the Beatitudes for the Christian is in letting that promised future blessing bleed in to our present realities so that no no matter how difficult the journey unto the destination gets, we have joy in our promised future. Is your journey unto pointing out your poverty? Is it pointing out your inability, your desperation and your failing? Then hear Jesus say to you, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Is your life making you abundantly aware of your hunger for something more than this life provides you? Then hear Jesus say, blessed are those who hunger now, for they shall be satisfied. Are you worn out from weeping over the worries of this pilgrimage? Anybody else worn out from weeping over the sorrows of this life? Hear Jesus say, blessed are those who weep, for they shall laugh. Let the joy of that final destination bleed over into our journey unto that destination. People make assertions all the time where they'll, they'll tell you, oh, things will be okay. You ever get that? You, you tell them a problem in your life and they'll say, I'm sure it'll all work out. I'm sure it'll all work out in the end. I'm sure things will be fine. When you're going through something, people have all sorts of sentimentalities that they throw out to you. Assertions, things will be fine. I'll take care of it. It'll all work out. But they're all, don't we know, just empty promises. They're vain statements. They're mere sentimentalities. Unless the one who says them has the power to bring them about. People come along and tell you, I'm sure it'll be fine. They don't know, do they? Another human, they don't know if things will be fine. Things might go terrible. We don't know. This life is a broken, messed up world. People come with these vain statements and they are powerless to make them happen. And they, do, they mean nothing to us. Unless the one has something, unless the one who says them has the power to bring them out. That is, unless the one who says them is God himself. The one who makes these promises is not just me standing up here. It's not somebody you meet in the street saying, I think things will work out. This is the voice of the God-man. This is the voice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. When Jesus says you are blessed when you are poor, hungry, weeping, and hated, because you will be rich, satisfied, laughing, and loved, you can trust him because he has secured it with his own life. He has purchased your adoption with his own blood. He has triumphed over death itself. And if he can bring his own future to pass, he can bring it to pass for you as well. Are you longing with me this morning? Anybody longing? Anybody longing to be for for the sorrows to fade? Anybody feel their poverty? Anybody feel their hunger? Anybody feel their longing? For the next thing, look with me to Christ. Look with me to Christ. He has bled for our salvation. He has secured our eternal hope through his very life, death, and resurrection. See Christ. See him and see that promised future and hope in it. And let the day-breaking joy of our final coming sunrise fill your eyes and your heart with hope as we walk together through our dimly lit pilgrimages, knowing that one day we will be home and the blessing promised, the blessing promised to us will one day be the promise fulfilled.
the blessing promised will one day be the blessing fulfilled. Let's pray. Father, we yearn for you. I am here as the poor, the hungry, the sorrowful, the scorned. Seeking, searching, longing to be fed, to be satisfied, to laugh. And Father, may our hearts get caught up in the joy and the hope you have provided for us through the gospel of your Son. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.